like you said, there's no accidents. And I just trust, I felt like I've always had the belief that everything happens for a reason. So even through the heartbreak, even through the disappointments of careers and boys and all those kind of things, it's all been leading to something bigger. And so I've just trusted that living in the moment of the pain is going to lead to something better. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. I am so excited. Not only this week do I get to interview an incredible, amazing, beautiful young woman, but I have the privilege of calling this beautiful soul my daughter. To those of you who have been listening to the Self Love Podcast, I'm really excited to share with you the beautiful Taylor Rose Morrison. She's a young woman. She's 23 years of age, the most beautiful dancer, the most incredible teacher, the most amazing personal trainer, Pilates instructor, and one of the loves of my life. You'll get to hear her story today about what it took to be a dancer, even though she wasn't a ballerina per se, uh, and took up the sport really at the age of 12 rather than in her maybe before five like most top dancers do. But you're going to hear her story today about what it took for her to reach her dreams to then go contract and audition after audition and to finally um, seek and achieve her dreams. But you're going to hear the heartache, the times that it took her and knocked her off her feet, her rock bottom moments. I think you'll enjoy a pen and paper with this one because she has some beautiful quotes throughout it. And I really encourage you, beautiful mamas out there, to share this with your teenage daughters, with your younger um, children and really take on what this remarkable young woman has got to say. I sincerely hope you enjoy this week's podcast where I get to share my beautiful daughter with you. Just remember, if you've got any feedback from today, please go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. You can also give this podcast a five-star rating, which helps other people to find it. And I'm always so grateful for your feedback. And if you would like to come to my beautiful Essential Self-Care Weekend, we have 10 spots left on the Sunshine Coast, just 10, and they are being bought up every day, every moment. And I encourage you, if you've been sitting on the fence, now is the time to book in. And if you do, you will get the privilege, the chance to meet the beautiful Taylor as she will be a guest here at the Essential Self-Care Weekend. And I look forward to sharing her with you. I want to thank the Wellness Couch for all their support and love of allowing me to share my love of self-love with you and all of the listeners. But also, if you want to place any comments, remember to go to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training is where you'll find me, or my absolute love over there on Instagram, Kim Morrison and the number 28. Apart from that, you beautiful soul, get ready, buckle in, because this week's self-love podcast is very incredibly and very close to my heart. Enjoy. So as you heard in the intro, I am really excited. It's not often one gets to interview her own daughter, but Taylor Morrison, welcome to the Self Love Podcast, my darling girl. 
Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Well, you know, it's a treat to have you. I know you are a beautiful, young, 23-year-old woman. You've lived a lot when we really think about it. But for those people that don't know you, maybe you could give us a little story as to what it was like growing up, living in New Zealand, then coming over here, finding your passion, where you fitted at school, and then what drove you after school. And then we'll get into more about what life has been like as a young adult. So you just want my whole life story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, yes, obviously we grew up in New Zealand as a family and then we moved over in 2006. Yeah. And that was cool. I don't remember too much, you know, the, like it being a big a big change, but I know obviously it was being younger. Um, but then got into a little bit of dancing over here and did calisthenics for a while, um, which was fun. It was very like theatrical um, and strength-based, which was a lot of fun for me. And then schooling was good. I was very like precise during school. I would have everything OCD, had to be in control. <laughs> um, everything was like on time, articulate, very like, precise. Um, But then growing up and getting a bit older and leaving school, I probably felt I flicked more into my powerful. Um, And I think it was probably more so uh, insecurity wise as to why I wasn't such a loud, powerful as a child. Um, Growing up, I was just very timid and wanted to be right and by the rules or whatever. And then I don't know, as everyone says, when you get older, you kind of don't really give a shit anymore. (laughs) So of what? you know, other people think and things like that. So I just came a little bit more into my powerful and that's when I probably started to own and believe in myself. Um, and definitely dancing helped through that um, because that was my big passion. So I just kind of found myself a little bit more towards the end of school and leaving school. So, yeah. Yeah. It's It's been a remarkable thing to watch you grow. I mean, it's it's very hard for me to sit here as your mum and not have that beautiful lens of what a mother would have because, quite frankly, whatever you and Jacob do is amazing to me, right, as your mum. But as an older woman looking at you growing and finding yourself and having the privilege to watch you find yourself, There were some things that you just mentioned there about precise and powerful. And for those that are listening to this and don't know, one of the things when I trained to be a four temperament advanced personality trainer, I learned a lot about um, the four different types and how Florence Litauer categorized based on Hippocrates' work. So it became a really good foundation tool for me as a parent to understand our children and also to understand how to parent But I think from your perspective, what you're saying then at school, being a more precise type, more melancholic type, very organized, strategic. I didn't have to ask you to do a lot. (laughs) If anything, Taylor would have her hand tapping on the watch when I'd arrive late (laughs) at school or if things weren't right. And, you know, there was times where I think she even taught me how to be a better parent (laughs) um, through her advice to me as a mum. But also, as you said, not only do we grow through school and school can be pretty tough, can't it? I just want to go back to school for a moment because a lot of people that listen to this podcast have teenagers and have children going through school. It's very challenging and very hard to say to people not to get too hooked into it. But when you're a young person, school is all you know. Um, How did you navigate the whole thing around friendships and personal 
personalities and different maturity levels and boys and understanding friendship how did what was some of the cool the 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 the, the cool lessons that you could take from being through school now as a 23-year-old? Um, I remember reading, I think it was a quote, and it said, the more you understand yourself, the more patience you have for others. And so I really, I don't know, it just really connected with me that I wanted to find out more about myself and my personality, likes, dislikes, how I cope in certain situations. Um, and that definitely helped having you as a as a mum, because you were so in the world of, you know, personalities and self-discovering and all that kind of stuff. So it was just, I don't know, second nature to be inquisitive about it. Um, so I, yeah, I just really delved into like the understanding the personality. So then I wouldn't clash so much. I don't know if a girl or if anyone um, was just, I, I've, I was clashing with or reacting badly with or didn't like or I really liked or, you know, all those different things. It just made me understand where things stemmed from from other people just because, you know, you show love or show the way that you're trying in certain ways doesn't mean if someone's not showing it that way, it's wrong. Other people have different ways to show their love or how much they're trying or, you know, everything. So it just really made me understand that not everyone's going to be the same as me um, and vice versa, like everyone else is going to be the same as something else. So I shouldn't expect this, you know, high standard of way of living. Everyone's got their own unique way and, uh, and no one's wrong about it. So, yeah, I just really liked that the more, yeah, the more you understand yourself, the more patience you have for others. So, yeah, that was a really big thing for me and clashing I mean, I didn't really find myself clash with a lot of people at school, but there is issues that come up and make you question yourself or like belief wise or um, insecurities or you're not good enough or that girl's better than you at this and blah, blah, blah. So I think I really just tuned into my good qualities. Like I really focused on my dancing and sport um, and that was my thing. So I really went after that um, and it gave me a lot of confidence because that was something I was good at. So I just tuned into that. Um, and there were other people that were really good at, you know, um, like maths and science and things like that or were really good at, I don't know, not that they're nerdy things, but they're just different. You know, the, there's a very big segregation between sport and nerds and things like that, but everybody has their own niche. So just tune in on that. And they're not the people for you if they're, they're going to be nasty or going to judge you. They're just they're not your circle. So. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because I remember as a mum who has a more sanguine, playful personality, I'll never forget going right back to primary school when you first started at um, the new college that you went to, which in year five, I remember it. And I turned up at the school to drop off your lunch and I was looking for you in the playground. And I looked out and there you were under the tree all by yourself, very precisely sitting there eating your little I don't know, gluten-free sandwich and and sitting there just eating so delicately and my heart broke and I just thought, where's all her friends? Where is, what's happened? Has she had a fallout? Why isn't anyone with her? Anyway, I tried to very calmly come up to you and I just said, oh, sweetheart, is everything okay? And I'll never forget your answer. Yeah, I'm fine. Everything's great. Hi, mum. And then I said, where's all your friends? Oh, you know what? Everyone was just a bit full on. I just needed some space. <laughs> 
And you taught me that people are different. I needed to be around people to feel good, but sometimes you needed that space. And it's interesting because I think you understanding that got you through a lot of times where, you know, there might have been opinions or judgments or conversations around different things where some of us could take it very personally. How did you manage to to just like water off a duck's back? Or how did you really come to that place of knowing that we were all different, not wrong? Apart from me and what I see, what did you do inside of you? Um, Well, actually, my grandmother, your mother, taught me something and said, (laughs) opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. (laughs) (laughs) Me especially. Um, And I, I mean, I was very opinionated and I thought everybody needed to know my opinion and that the way I lived and had my you know, values was the right way, the only way. So why would other people? And I remember a friend saying like, Taylor, nobody cares or nobody actually wants to know or, you know, just because you do it that way doesn't mean it's right. And I was like, what? But I'm trying to help you. Like, this is the best way. But, you know, yeah, so yeah, I used to think my way was the best way. Still is, but no. (laughs) (laughs) But it just came for me to realise that, you know, everybody has their own unique way. And so I shouldn't buy into it. It was a lot of energy just buying into it and trying to help people when if someone really wants some help, they'll ask. Um, If someone really needs something, you can always approach. And if they say no, they say no. But, you know, the answer is always no, unless you ask. So I think one of the things I admired most about you was not taking things like that personally. So how would you say that to a young person listening to this or a mum listening to this, how would you recommend that we help someone to understand that it's okay not to have everyone agree with you or it's okay not to be the number one liked person or the number one person who has all the answers? What would your advice be to that younger self of you or to someone listening to this? Um, I think you just kind of realise that not everyone is for you and you will find your circle of people that are you. Um, there might be hard times where you question, you're like, oh, none of my friends like me or I don't get invited to these things and blah, blah, blah. And at the time it seems like such a big deal. But, I mean, you look back and it's easy to say like, oh, you know, it's fine when you look back. It was, no- it was nothing to be worried about. But in the moment it feels, you know, very hard. But, you know, life does get better things get better. So it's not, it doesn't last forever. So you just kind of find your circle as you get older. It takes time. So, you know, just be patient with everything. Mm. And I think one of the things you're always good at is be the friend that you'd like to be um, or like to have. And I think that was remarkable. But, you know, a lot of people do have big problems at school. And sadly, Tay's, you know, suicide is becoming bigger um, either you know, parents not coping, either younger people not coping. What what are your thoughts around, you know, not feeling so good enough that it's not worth being there? How do you think we need to, what needs to change in your humble opinion, do you think? I mean, like social media definitely pay, plays a big part, um, but it honestly goes back to what I said before, that the more you understand yourself, the more patience you have for others, but not necessarily last, but but you just need to like understand yourself, where your pain comes from, where your insecurities come from, what are your triggers, what makes you feel good, what are you best at, what do you need to work on? Like there's just so many things. And I think 
the more people really delve into themselves, um, the more they'll just understand and have a a better awareness. And maybe that wouldn't be such an issue. It's hard though, isn't it, when you're young? Like for you, it sounds so natural. Maybe mm. that's because we used to have such deep and meaningful conversations yeah. <laughs> around this. And I'm listening to you going, yeah, this sounds so easy, so simple. Mm. So do you think it comes back to the parents and teachers um, having these conversations and being willing to have conversations? How would a parent ask you if you were your younger self and you didn't have the conversations we had? What would you have wanted to have been asked in order to have these conversations, to understand your gifts and the things and your talents and the things that you weren't so great at? Like, how do we get that into someone young if it's not part of our daily conversation? I don't know, because it just always has been. Mm. I really don't. But I think it's just, like, just talk about it, anything. I think there's such a, there's a big emphasis on nowadays to, like, talk and be open and have these kind of conversations so it's not it's not a bad thing to feel you know emotional or vulnerable with the way you're feeling doesn't make you weak it doesn't make you insignificant it's just honoring how you feel you can't help it sometimes but maybe you can help yourself to get through it and make it easier or quicker um, rather than just sitting and dwelling and milking it for a long time so I think it's just being like you know allowing yourself to ask the questions out loud not just being your head about it and maybe that's where guidance counselors and and finding a teacher that you connect with there's always someone you'll connect with and but it does come from you doesn't it it doesn't matter how young you are how experienced or inexperienced in order to get help you have to be the one that reaches out Mm. you have to be the one that asks for the conversation even Mm. if you don't understand it I don't know what I'm feeling but I need someone to talk to and if you say that out loud someone will know someone if Mm. it's not your mum I always used to say to you guys if you can't talk to me make sure you find someone another friend's parent another person as long as there's some adults in your corner I think that's the most important thing because it's not always easy to talk to your mum or your dad I totally appreciate that I also found that was really important for me to be available to your friends if Mm. any of them ever wanted that because I'd want the same thing for you. Mm. So I think you've brought up a really good point there. But let's let's move forward a couple more years. You've left school. You've realized you have a talent. You we've invested a lot of time, (laughs) a lot of money money. (laughs) (laughs) into your dance career. And I guess what were some of the things that you would say dancing taught you as a metaphor for life? A lot of things, definitely a lot of things. Um, Patience for sure and coming into your own, being your own unique person because there's a thousand other girls out there that want the same job, they're going for the dancing, everyone's trying to be perfect, but what's going to make you stand out is your little icing on the cake. What's going to be different from you to the girl next to you who has the same body, has the same feet, has the same jump, can turn as much times as you, what's going to be different? So... For me, that was like my artistry and I really enjoyed it and played on that because that's what the audience knows is how you tell a story through emotion, facial expressions, arm movements, sign language, things like that. People know that. Not everybody knows the correct technique. Not everybody knows how many jumps you're supposed to do or turns, but what people can relate to is emotions. So I just really played on coming into my own artistry in in dancing and it was you know it can get very 
precise and zone in on being everything has to be perfect and I don't know it kind of almost gave me a freedom that yes you're aiming for perfection but also in your own definition of it so I really liked that yeah and I think we could give kudos to a couple of your teachers here the beautiful Liz from calisthenics she really taught you how to express yourself on stage and then the amazing Karen Manley from the Sunshine Coast Conservatory of Dance she saw something in you and really I I guess and I'll get you to explain it but she pulled something out of you and then you had a couple of teachers there that were phenomenal and then there was a day when a beautiful young woman Claudia Dean arrived could you just talk to us how you, you said patience, and I think that's what's triggered this for me to ask you. Um, everyone can tell you how great you are or can tell you what to do, but there just seems to be milestones, a couple of people believing in you, and then a conversation that just lifted you. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so Claudia, she was beautiful. I love her. She's like my sister. She coached me oh, way back in 2015, I think, and she's very uh world-renowned for being in the Royal Ballet and she's done very well for herself. But she, I mean, all the all the dance teachers in the world can say, oh, you're great, you've got something good going for you, you can make it, blah, blah, blah. But she just resonated with me that she made me feel so at ease that almost like all my hard work is showing off. It was like a pat on the back, like, you've done so well, I'm so proud of you, keep going because you've got, you do have something special. But she just brought out a side in me that really loved it and really wanted it. So, um, and I think that was because of her amazing personality as well. She was very positive. And I think the ballet world can be very harsh and very negative and you didn't do that right. You need this correction, pull up more, 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 more. You know, there's always stuff that you can work on, but she really highlighted the things that I was doing well. And it kind of gave me the confidence to own those things that I do do well and then work better at the other stuff that I'm maybe lacking in. So, and that's what I try and do with my clients and my work now is that I really want to make them feel confident and positive and, and good in themselves that they can, they don't have to feel insecure that they're not good enough or don't have the right technique or they're not working right or whatever it is in, in the gym and dancing and life. But I know that's just something that people really feel good is when someone else makes them feel good. And, yeah, and what do you think Karen did? I will never forget Miss Karen saying she took two years to get all any bad habits that you'd created, and then how to turn them into the precise ballet world. But what does a teacher like Karen give you? Someone who's you know has a school and she's looking at a whole lot of students. Like what? What was your connection there to that teacher? Um, Karen was there for me when I first started ballet, and she was amazing. She was the strong, powerful personality, but also had a a patience for me as well. Like knew, obviously, I hadn't done proper ballet for before, so it was it was like starting from scratch. And so she encouraged me enough to work hard for it, but didn't discourage me that I had such a long way to go. Like she believed in me that I was going to get there. It was just going to take a lot of work. And she was. Um, I think I was one of her first clients that she took on that would do private lessons during the day, like school time. So I would leave school early, gladly, to go to ballet. (laughs) And I would train with her because I wanted it. Like I started ballet quite late at 12 years old when most girls have been training since they were five. So I had a lot of catching up to do. So, but I wanted it. So I, um, 
I would ask her if she would take me for private lessons and I would do extra classes and I caught up within the two-year gap of what would have taken me seven years. I mean, I was still playing catch-up for a long time, but I was really hungry for it and I wanted it. So I think you just have to want it and go get it. Yeah. And then we go through your beautiful conservatory of dance. You get your, what are the qualifications that you came out with? Um, I finished my RID syllabus exams. So I went all the way to advanced two, which is pretty much the end other than solo seal. So I did my exams through that, which was amazing. And then I went on to the Vigana syllabus at Queensland National Ballet. Let's talk about Queensland National Ballet because that was another big leap. The first time you went into an environment where it was fully dedicated, 100% of your time, you moved to Brisbane, you were able to stay at a beautiful family and become a part of the Doyles as well while you were down there, which was just extraordinary to give you that sense of a, a good base. But moving then down to Brisbane away from home, and then going into full-time dance school for a couple of years with two extraordinary teachers that really, you know, pushed you. And also, you know, they had a school here. They were there to perform and do the best that they could. What was that step like going from part-time to full-time? Well, I was a big fish in a little pond, and then I was a little fish in a big pond. So it was very humbling, um, but I knew I was going to have to start from the bottom again. So it scared me, but it also excited me because I'd outgrown where I was and I was ready to take the next step. But instead of doing, you know, two or three hours in the afternoon, it was now, you know, eight hours a day and it was long. So I was definitely a hard adjustment at the start. I was a little bit lazy, (laughs) not lazy. I was just um, adjusting. So it was good. I really enjoyed it. Um, Lots of, lots of up and downs in the sense of, you know, you get really good at something and then all of a sudden you get hit with something even harder and then you start again and lots of um, different personalities with teachers and, and girls and the whole ballet world. It can, it can seem very toxic, but that's if you buy into it and make it what it is. But, you know, there's such a beautiful, amazing talent inside to it. So, yeah. yeah. And I think one of the most beautiful things being a part of that was to see your artistry and your technique and your talent just grow even more. But one of the things that really threw us both off track was when we discovered that you actually had stress fractures in your back. You literally danced one year with a broken back. And then the following year, oh, it actually almost makes me feel quite emotional thinking about it. That's how much you wanted it and how hard you pushed. And no one understood your pain. No one knew your pain but you kept grinding, you kept hustling, you kept pushing until at some point there was a break point. Talk to us a little bit about the emotion of that and what that did to you, again, as a metaphor for life. Um, Well, I'd never really had a serious injury before from dancing. I mean, a little bit of tendonitis in my ankles, maybe some sore hamstrings, but nothing long enough to take me out of ballet for more than a class or a day or whatever. So I just remember my back was, you know, sore and it would get worse and worse and worse. But I just thought, oh, it's just because I'm working really hard. I just need to stretch it out or whatever. And then one day I went to put on my ballet shoes and I literally couldn't even bend over like hands past my knees. And I was like, oh my God, something's wrong. Um, I could still walk around, but it was not comfortable at all. And so 
yeah, we went to the physio and then we got an MRI and came back and the physio said to me, was like, yep, so you've got two stress fractures in your L3 both sides, you're at risk of spondylolisthesis, which just means the this, uh, the disc can pop out and so it's just a bit dangerous. So um, he was just saying it pretty casually but at the same time like I've got to get on top of this, do this, blah, 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 and turned around and said, yep, so you've got to take 16 weeks off. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but no, seriously, like what do I have to do? And he was like, no, I'm serious. Like you're not dancing for 16, maybe 20 weeks. And I was like, what? And so – yeah, it like really hit me and it, I don't know, like I, I broke a little bit. And so it was a humbling experience for sure, because you've just, you've worked so hard to play catch up for so many years and then to be hit with a broken back, that's not just going to take you out for maybe a week or so, let alone, it's not just, you know, you're out for 20 weeks and then you come back gun ho you've got to build back up for however many months as well. So it was definitely an emotional and physically hard time. I would go into ballet every day, do my rehab, and then I would just have to sit there all day watching these girls dance and train and do their thing. And I remember you definitely have days where you're like, oh, I just I can't be bothered, I'm so tired, or I'm, I'm over it, doing the same thing, or whatever. And then something like this happens and you have to sit there and watch your friends dance and complain oh I'm so over this I can't do this anymore I want to break and I'm sitting here just dying to be doing what they're doing so it was a big wake-up call in the sense of appreciation for it so it was like a slap across the face so that when I do have those days of oh I don't want to be here go back to when I was sitting there forced to watch and just sit on my bar my ass all day watch them do what I love so yeah it was um it was a big thing I remember the physio saying something pretty powerful to you, though. Um, Taylor, how long do you want to dance for? I think he saw the shock on your face when he said 16 to 20 weeks off, and then he looked at you and he said, Taylor, how long do you see yourself dancing for? And at that time you said 10 years. And he said, great, 10 years, that's 520 weeks. I'm asking you to have 20 weeks off. What did that sit with you? How did that sit with you? It, yeah, put it into perspective for sure. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I can do that then for sure. So it just kind of made me zone in to right, use this opportunity um, not just as a process of recovery but a process of discovery as well of who am I without dancing, who am I going through this um, this hard time and building back up, humbling myself. And it was, um, it was really good. It kind of mo- gave me back that motivation that I might have lost from being complacent or doing the same thing every day. So it kind of brought back hunger in me and you're definitely on your own in that kind of world. It's your journey. You're in 20 feet of mirrors, eight hours a day in a leotard and tights. It's completely about you. Yes, you're with your friends. Yes, you're dancing with other people, but it's about you. And so it gave me the chance to really zone in on who I was as a dancer, as a person, as an athlete, all those things. And yeah, it was really good. It was hard, but it was good. Yeah. I I just want to commend you for it. It was, 
it was pretty tough to watch as your mum and it was hard to watch the pain that you went through, but it was also incredibly inspiring to witness your drive. And we both talked about it a lot, didn't we? Mm. You know, this will either show you how much you want it or Mm. how much you don't want it. Mm. So every opportunity is an opportunity for growth. There is absolutely no doubt. Mm. And I just, I just want to acknowledge you publicly for that because you, you taught me a lot as well. So now you've finished at the Queensland National Ballet and the next dream was to get a contract. Mm -hmm. You and I travelled all over Australia. We went to New Zealand. Talk us through all the different places you went to to um, audition, what it was like to have a constant no judge you for your body, your shape, your face, your hair colour. Like, talk to us about that process of how many auditions. Like, let's not pretend here Mm. about how big this Mm. was. It's very hard to not get caught up on listening to it and it sounding so toxic. Like, to an extent, yes, maybe on paper it is, but then at the same time, like, it was just a lot of character building and a lot of going back to, yeah, it's it's all about you. What can you do better? How can you improve? Why don't they want you? And you're just constantly trying to better yourself, not just in dancing but like in life as well. So, you know, it would just be no after no after no, even if I made it so close to the end and you can't help but just think, oh, I'm such a failure. Like why wasn't I good enough or what am I doing? Am I wasting my time? But um, I did an audition with Queensland Ballet years ago when I was still part-time and Lee Shuang Singh, the um, artistic director, said just because it's not a no, uh, sorry, not a yes today doesn't mean you're not good enough. You're just not what we're looking for right now. And it can be literally as specific as a hair colour, um, a, sh- a body shape, uh, the height that you are the skin color that you are, things like that. So it taught me a lot that, it, yeah, it's not that I'm not good enough. It's just maybe that's not what they're looking for right now. And so it really, it made me think of what company do I really want to be in? What's going to accept me and what's going to be like my drive? Because there's no point me going after a certain ballet company that I just know it's going to be a no um, other than the experience of the audition. But I'm really trying to find what's going to be best for me because there was no point in me going after Royal Ballet when I didn't have the legs or the feet that they wanted, just like other companies. So it just kind of taught me to get very um, precise as to what I was asking for or what I was going for. But yeah. Yeah, I think that was the most powerful part was watching you put your drive. So, so now you and I have been to Paris. You've um, no, actually, the first time you went to audition for Crazy Horse, you went by yourself. So now I farewelled you. Um, we've decided that one of your greatest skills in love, one of our favourite films we've watched together, Burlesque, I don't know how many times we've watched it, <laughs> but that cabaret, sensual, um, feminine, really beautiful way you could bring all your ballet skills but also your artistry. You are someone who really embraces her femininity. You have been blessed with the most beautiful body and face and all of those things, which we know is partly because of what you were born with, but it's also how you've carried yourself and what you've done with your talents. Talk to us a little bit about now. You're on a flight. You're off to Paris by yourself. Your mum's 
sitting there going, I hope everything's all right, but also knowing I had to let you go. Um, it's not my story, but what was it like for you going all the way across to the other side of the world, but then me waking up to all those texts? Talk to yeah. us about Paris. So I followed the company Crazy Horse for years, which is like Moulin Rouge. It's probably just a bit more um, risque. risque. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also very feminine based. Um, and so I saw that they put up an audition um, casting call and so many of my friends sent it to me because I've had friends say to me before, oh, my God, Crazy Horse is so your company. And um, anyway, so I saw this come up and it was saying, you know, in the start of April and this was February, start of March, I think, and I was like, oh, my God, that would be the dream. And I just applied randomly. Oh, no, before I applied, I said, Mum, I need to have these photos taken because it required um, bikini shots of you just front, side, back um, and and a headshot because they needed to see your body. And so Mum and I booked in with our beautiful friend Chloe to photograph me and um, took the photos and then sent it off within a week. And they replied and they said, yes, you've been accepted, you can fly over. And I was like, oh, my God, this is happening. Like I need to go to France, but I've never been to Europe by myself, let alone with anyone before. And I was like, I just have to do it. Like, I don't care. I'll make it happen. And so, yeah, I told mom and I said, I need to go to France. Um, and she was so busy with work. I remember you saying like, I don't, I don't know if I can take the time off. And I was like, I don't care. I'm going. I'll, I'll go by myself then. And uh, one of my other beautiful friends was living there at the time. So luckily I could fly over and stay with her, which made it a lot easier because that would have been very scary going by myself to a place I had no idea about. But anyways, so I got there and... I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to be very like mature. I've got an audition to go to. I've got to get over this jet lag, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, met up with my friend and to celebrate me being there, she was like invited all the friends over and we had a big party. And I was like, what am I doing? I need to be serious. I have an audition. But it got over my jet lag so quick and some of the girls that were there were doing the audition as well. And one of the girls was saying, yeah, yeah, I'm doing the audition for Crazy Horse. And I looked at her and I was so intimidated. I was like, oh, my God, she looks like the epitome of what they're going after. And she probably has way more experience than me because I'm very classically trained. I haven't had, you know, the the commercial training as much as these girls probably have. So I remember just shitting myself being like, oh, my God, what have I done? I've literally just spent all this money, flown over here for this audition. I've got no chance because I was a little bit white light, just go over there, do my thing. And now it got real. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. And then comes to the audition. Oh, the nerves. Oh my God. And I heard lots of different things about the audition. It was choreographed. It was freestyle. It was improv. It was all day. It was 30 seconds, blah, blah, blah. And I had no idea. So I was dying. I was like, if it's improvisation, I'm going to die. Like, I would rather just someone tell me what to do and I'll give it to them. And of course we get there and everyone's speaking French and I just hear the little improvisation. And I was like, sorry, <laughs> what is, I need English. And they're like, oh, it's improv. And I was like, oh, and my heart just dropped. And I, oh, I could have, I could have shat myself literally. And so anyways, I'm trying to pull myself together and be like, okay, okay, okay. It's okay. Let's go side stage. Not to mention the audition is topless. Um, you're in heels as well, like cabaret shoes. And so, yeah, it was, it was a big thing. So anyways, I get to the stage and the girls, if they're interested in you, they'll talk to you afterwards. If they're not, they'll 
send you to the side and say, thank you for coming, go back. And I did my audition. How many girls? Oh, there was four rounds. So there was a lot of girls that went for it, 50 plus. Um, There was at least 20 just in my round. So there was, yeah, at least 50 plus just for this day. And, yeah, anyways, and so I got on stage. It was such a blur. I was so nervous. And I get to the end and they were just like, okay, come forward. Um, They asked me questions about if my boobs were real, because <laughs> they're very uh, natural company, they asked how long I was staying in France for, um, where I was from, all the different questions. They also got me to stand in different positions and poses. And I was like, oh, my God, like they're actually interested in me. And they said, yes, um, you can go back to the dressing room. We'll talk to you afterwards. And I was like, oh, okay. And so a little bit of confidence kind of came over me that, all right, I think I might have a shot here because this was just a one in a million that I was going to make it. And now it was feeling more like achievable. And anyway, so then I made it through to the final round, which was later that afternoon. We had to come back and I was just dying that it was going to be improv again, but they, it wasn't improv. It was just stand up in one straight line with all the girls face the front. Number one, you can go. Number two, step forward. Number three, turn to the side. You can go. Number four, blah, blah, blah. It was just cutthroat. There was no you know, dancing, anything. It was just physically how you looked. And so I was just standing there pulling up as much as I could, trying to make myself look like the part. And I remember getting off stage and my back was just aching from just holding it so like arched and, you know, into the position that they wanted to. I've never, I mean, people that have done probably like um, bodylifting competitions or, you know, bodybuilding stuff, they they know the pain where you're just aching because you have to hold a pose for so long and you're, the adrenaline is just rushing through your body. So flexing so hard. And anyways, I literally made it down to the last um, four of us and they said, okay, girls, we're going to go back and we'll talk to you separately. So all four of us went back and they were trying to discuss and choose and blah, blah, blah. And they couldn't make a decision um, because there was another girl in New Zealand that had also auditioned that they were keen on. So they hadn't, they couldn't quite make a decision and it was pretty much down to me and this other French girl. Um, and I didn't find out for two weeks. They sent us back home. I flew back to Australia, which was the longest flight of my life because they're like, we'll email you in a few days. And I was like, I fly out in a few days. What if it comes through on the flight? And it took so long. And anyways, they finally got back to me and they said, "Um, you unfortunately have not been successful. And so pretty much finding out that I was between me and one other girl, it was heartbreaking at first, but then it it was so inspiring to know like I got that close to one of the hardest companies, cabaret companies in the world to get into. And I literally was so close. So it was devastating for sure, but it was also so motivating and so confidence building that, wow, like I actually, I can do this. Like I've pretty much made it. Like let's just keep going, keep chasing when whatever's meant to be will be. And so I just have to know that the right path will, will come, will come too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it was, it was heart in the throat material for your mother, but I can promise you that much. <laughs> Because I woke up to a barrage of texts, I'm in the next round. Mum, I'm in the next round. Mum, you won't believe it, I'm in the final round. And I just read text after text and was so excited and, of course, highly disappointed as well for you. But I like what you said before 
it's not just about a recovery, it's also a discovery. And I think that's something that you have really mastered through all these knockbacks, setbacks. It's, you know, how did you can turn this into the greatest learning or the greatest disappointment or maybe both. So, okay, you didn't make it into that and, you know, you're still growing, you're still learning, you're still trying to work out who you are, still living at home. You know, there's lots of things that have been probably going through your head. Also really hard for you to even hold down a relationship, let alone create a relationship. So, you know, going through all of that side of life as well. But let's jump forward now to the contract you did get and tell us how that felt when you finally, finally not only auditioned, but you got the part. It was like, yeah, like you said, finally, I've got my break. And this is just the start. You know, once you get one, you can tick over and you've got your foot in the door. And it was so exciting. Like I was off. My my brother wanted me to move in with him in, into Brisbane um, that following year. And I just pulled out. I said, sorry, babe, I'm going to Germany. <laughs> it, was, it was like, what? But then also so excited. And yeah, I think I found that out in, was it December? November, I think. And then I was going to, I was going to um, Germany in January, the start of January. And it was so exciting because I'd also never been to Germany. I'd only been to France and Europe. And then it was just a whole nother, a whole nother life. And this was for real this time. So it was very exciting. And that was with the circus um, for Apollo. And um, so I was still a dancer in it, but it was great. It was a lot more, uh, personal and very intimate because there wasn't a huge cast there was probably 20 of us I think 25 so we really got to know everyone and it's just I don't know it's just amazing that you get to go on stage every night dance do what you love and call it work it was it was not that I felt guilty but I was like this is my job you know I get to go on stage live my dream get paid for it and that's it. Just keep myself fit, go to the gym, live my life, meet people and work. And so, yeah, I, I loved it. It was such a good time. It was amazing. It was hard for me because I knew I'd kissed you <laughs> goodbye probably for at least five to 10 years, but also knew that it motivated me um, and, t- and dad and Jacob to, you know, save money so that we could come and see you and catch up with you all around the world because mm-hmm. this was your first contract, one of many. And then, The beginning of March, just three, just not even quite three months later, COVID hits and your dream comes to a grinding halt. Talk to us about that. So, yeah, like you said before, I was like, I'm not going to be home for five years. I was already in contact with other agents that wanted me to come to France um, right after I finished up in Germany and, and Spain as well. So I was like, yep, not coming home for five years. Might come home for a little holiday to say, hey, but I don't plan on moving back anytime soon. And yeah, so I said goodbye. See you in five years, everybody. And then three months later, I'm back, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was really hard um, at the start. It was, I was in a bit of shock. I was in a lot of denial. I was like, no, no, no. I'll be back there in two weeks. It's fine. This will blow over soon. And then, yeah, the reality hits and you're just like, you don't know. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And you just kind of have to find your purpose of what's keeping you going every day. What can you do right here, right now for when that time does come, the light at the end of the tunnel or that call for the contract or a new job opportunity comes up, what are you going to do to be ready for it when that comes? And I think 
definitely for the first three months of being at home, I did absolutely nothing, literally nothing. We were in lockdown for sure, but I think it was almost, I was definitely rebelling against it. But then it was a time for me to kind of refine my purpose, like realign myself. What am I doing? What do I really want? Um, If it's going to be this hard to go overseas again, is this something that I want? What are my opportunities? What are my passions? What I just kept asking the what question and then it would lead to the how, like, how am I going to do it? Is it going to be worth it? Blah, blah, blah. So it was just such a questionable time um, for many months. And I didn't want to go to uni because what if I get started and two months later, oh, you're going back overseas, what a waste, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't want to tie myself down to anything being here, but I also didn't know how long I was going to be in Australia for. So it was such an uncertain time, not just for me, but so many people in the dancing industry and and probably many others job-wise. So it was just such a I almost just had to to surrender to it because I couldn't do anything. So I might as well just go with the flow. When else am I going to get the opportunity to be be paid by the government to do nothing, (laughs) have Centrelink, um, and to just chill out, be with my family, um, catch up with friends that I hadn't seen in so long and just be present and not have the pressure of, well, you should be trying to get overseas again because this was just out of my control. I wasn't sitting there beating myself up. You should be out on contract. You should be doing this job. What are you doing with your life? It was just like, "Eh, well, I can't really do anything. I'll just surrender to it. Go with the flow. There was a moment when I really annoyed you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There was a a time there where, you know, I actually annoyed you. It's probably the only word I I wanted to tell you to just go F yourself. I was like, (laughs) leave me alone. (laughs) Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, I was probably still in the denial phase of everything. And, yeah, you've turned around and said, maybe you want to study this, maybe you want to go and do this, maybe you should go into this course. And it was just, oh, it was just too overwhelming. Now, it wasn't to say that was the wrong thing. Oh, my God, I'm so grateful that I have you to prompt me to do things with my life, probably because we're such doers, like don't just sit there and sulk, like take action. And so I definitely gave myself that kick up the butt later, but it was right in the time where I was still in the denial phase. I just want to do nothing. I hate the world, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I was a bit upset with you. (laughs) I was a bit angry in the sense of don't tell me what to do. I'm living my own life, blah, blah, blah. I can't do anything. What I want to do has just been ripped away from me. Let me live. But I think within a few weeks, I kind of probably came around to the ideas that you talked about and gave myself the kick up the bum. But it was definitely hard hearing it in the moment because probably because we are so alike that you get me, that you know I'm such a doer. So you were just prompting me on like, okay, well, what's the solution? How can we get out of this? How can we fix it? And I was like, oh, just go away. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it right now. But you were right. Like you just probably because you tell me, what I am going to do, but I want to be the person to tell me, you know, it's my idea, but you know, I get it from you for sure. So it was just a, a slap in the face that I needed, but a little bit too early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not right. We don't know these things, but I could sense something. And, and I guess as a mum, a parent, we sometimes can see things beyond 
what we know our children can see and our job is not only to coach but also to support, advise, push, poke. (laughs) Um, But there was another moment when I remember seeing you on your bedroom floor. You were in the fetal position. You were broken. Your dream had come crashing. It was the realisation COVID now has stopped everybody in their tracks. No one in the entertainment industry was employed not only did we see you break, we saw the world break Mm. for want of a better word. And I think that is also a moment where our hearts went out to everybody. Mm. It wasn't just you. And, you know, you had a beautiful friend who turned around to you and said, come on, get back in the game. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, I, yeah, I I think it was just my rock bottom moment. Um, I went through a bit of a, heartbreak at the same time and during the whole COVID experience it was just a distraction for me um this relationship and it was my like I was yeah it was just my distraction because yes I'd been sent home but I was kind of motivated to just do my own thing talk have someone yeah to talk to and then when that ended it was almost like the big slap in the face of wake up, this is your reality, not just the relationship, but like where you are right now, COVID is a thing. Dancing is not a thing. Um, doing what you love is not a thing. And yeah, when that ended, it was just like everything came crashing down and it was my rock bottom moment. And yeah, I was on my bedroom floor, literally just couldn't move. I was just broken. And yeah, so many loves of my life, dancing, relationships, friendships, overseas traveling, my lifestyle, everything was just over. And um, and it was really hard and I just didn't know what to do. And it was, yeah, it was, it wasn't a good time, but I also needed it. Like, you know, you always say, you know, everything is a learning opportunity and you grow from this and, you know, wisdom comes from experiences. And I just remember thinking like, oh, I don't want to go through this. But at the same time, I'm grateful I'm going through this because I know I will learn from it. I'll look back and and be more mature and more knowledgeable from it. But being in it is just the worst. And so I was just, yeah, I was just felt really lost. And definitely was not myself and I didn't know what to do next because I couldn't just run away or drive up and see a friend or go and find a new contract or go out and have fun or whatever. Nothing was, there was no fixable option. And anyways, and so I remember you said to me, you're like, Taze, you're going to be okay. You'll, you'll cry about this for maybe two or three days and then you'd be over it. And I was like, excuse me, do not tell me how to, how to, you know, mourn or grieve. I will take as long as I want. <laughs> and of course you were right. But I never wanted to admit that. <laughs> and yeah, within two or three days, I was fine. I was not fine, but I was over the whole sooky. Anything would set me off. Even a song, even a word would just, oh my God, I'm a mess. And I just wanted better for myself too. Like I hated who I was. I just, well, not hated. I was just done being that person. You get fed up with it because one, you don't even want to be around yourself, let alone other people want to be around you. So anyways, I um, gave me, gave me a bit of a slap across the face again when it was too early, but you were right. (laughs) Very brutal, this relationship. (laughs) But yeah. And then of course, yeah, I got over it. The puffy eyes, the exhaustion, (laughs) 
everything. And one of my beautiful friends, Georgie, was just like, babe, you just need to get back out there, get some attention, make you feel good, get a bit of an ego booster from, you know, some boys or whatever. And I was like, oh, I think uh, I think I'll go with that. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry. I definitely love a bit of attention. So I was like, oh, you've uh, spoken to me. I'll, uh, I'll do that. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, so it just kind of, it was not a distraction, but it was just a mood lifter to then go and see my girlfriends and have a bit of male attention, make you feel good, whatever. Um, during that time of, you know, you definitely feel worthless and not, not like a, a beautiful woman when, you know, someone says, I don't want to be with you or you just question yourself, you feel rejected, you feel insecure. And so it definitely it definitely helps when your girlfriends lift you up, but then you get a bit of a, an ego boost or a bit of confirmation that you are, you know, a beautiful woman and people, you are attractive to people and they do want you and things like that. So it was, it was good, but yeah. So when you went through this and, and look, let's face it, girlfriends, there's nothing like them. There's nothing like good relationships and everything with people around you that lift you. And that's a really good piece of advice is to, you need sometimes friends to slap you in the face <laughs> or lift you or your mum did it <laughs> to do it harsh. Um, sold's not sold. <laughs> Trying Needed. to do the lingo. Um but, you know, life has a funny and mysterious way of working. You then took the, the ball by the horns, so to speak. You enrolled in your fit college. You then went on to become a personal trainer. You have grown and expanded yourself. You put your nose down, tail up, and figured if this is it, I'm going to give it everything. That's something that you do incredibly well. And I wish every young person, if not every young woman, could take a little piece of that from you. If it's not working the way you want, one of the things you do so well is change direction. So you've now gone into fit college. You've become a personal trainer. Not only did you do really well at the gym that you were going to, you and Jacob just then made the gym your focus, you guys, because he his dream was knocked back with rugby. But you guys just, you, you made the gym your next home and you focused on that. And through going to the gym, again, putting yourself out there, you created a relationship with a personal trainer, beautiful Kerry, who then got you motivated to get toned and fit. And you became more appreciative of the human body in a way you hadn't, and yet you spent every moment of every day working on your body. Talk to us how that changed your perception of the body and what it is to be a strong, fit young woman. Well, I, yeah, I've always had an interest with the body because it's my career. It's my job um, to use my body as my, yeah, as my career. So I, I was said once I finished up, the ballet world and I was still dancing, but I was done with classical. I said, I always wanted to train in some kind of way that isn't to do with ballet. And so, yeah, I signed up to the gym, was such a rookie, had no idea what I was doing. So insecure about it. And I got signed up with a personal trainer and she really helped me. And then she, she moved on and she passed me over to Carrie and Carrie is this beautiful, strong female role model in my life. And she scare the shit out of me because I looked at her and she is this strong little pocket rocket. And I was just like, Oh my God, she's going to make me do upper body strength. 
because her arms are phenomenal and that is my weakness. <laughs> so I was almost intimidated, but, you know, what scared me the most is what I needed the most. And so she took me under her wing and I've been training with her for I think three years now, um, two or three years. And she's just helped me find this love and appreciation, not just for the body, but for training, the mindset, the the gym environment, all of it. And so when COVID hit, it kind of felt like the right thing for me to do was to get into the the gym world. And it suited me because I was already, you know, doing body, body working stuff. And I got to wear active wear all day, every day, which I love. <laughs> I live in it. Um, and I get to train beautiful girls one-on-one, not just be there for them as a trainer, but also as a, a shoulder to cry on, a counsellor, a girlfriend, a best friend, whatever it is. So I'm not just a very serious job because that's not me. I'm not a very serious person. <laughs> so I needed something. And it just spoke to me to be the per- the right thing to do there. So Carrie definitely played a big part in that for me to be who I am today in the personal training industry. And it's honestly been such a fulfilling journey. Like I don't feel like I've done the wrong thing or missed out because I can always go back to dancing, maybe not the extent that I want to, but, you know, it's not like the the chapter or the door is closed, but right here, right now, I'm just such a live in the moment person. And so COVID was a huge, uh, like a roadblock. So I obviously couldn't dance right there, right then. So what can I do right now instead? And I can always turn around and say no to personal training. I can go back and take a contract job, but right now I can't dance. So what can I do? And it was personal training. And I love it because I love helping women see their own potential, not just physically or, you know, strength wise or a certain body shape, but mentally as well and lovingly as well, who they are and believing in themselves. So it just, it was the perfect transition and I love it every day. You're amazing at it. And you said something there really poignant, not only helping women see their own potential, but also um, the mental side of it, but loving themselves. If Would you say self-love, knowing that your mama, this is her, <laughs> her drive, her passion, <laughs> I'll pinch her if she doesn't know. <laughs> um, but self-love has been something that's really important to me to teach many young people, full stop, all people of all ages. What's what's the definition of self-love to you? I think self-love means self-respect and self-respect means putting yourself out there, putting yourself first, um, loving yourself, embracing who you are, doing the right thing for you, taking risks, taking opportunities, just having that self-respect to want better for yourself. There's no point plateauing and being this mellow nobody. Like you have your life, you have your body, do something with it. And so having that self-respect, whether it's, you know, working hard in the gym, whether it's having this beautiful job, having a beautiful family or meeting the right people, whatever it is, like go for it, take action because it's your own responsibility. So I think to me self-love is having self-respect and that's it can come down to body image or it can come down to the mental side it can it can be anything but you doesn't it doesn't mean you have to be a size six 
or it doesn't mean that you have to be a tall, skinny model to love yourself, you know, and that's what I try and teach my girls that I train because everybody comes to the gym. Everybody wants to get skinnier. Everybody wants to be in this perfect bikini body. And realistically, that's not going to happen for some people. And that can be absolutely shattering because some people just live in that fantasy of, yeah, but I want that. That could be me. And I think one of my biggest things that I try and teach women is that, you know, you're creating the best version of yourself, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually and all those things. And we might not know what that looks like right now, but we're going to find out and we're going to keep chasing it because you never stop. You're always evolving. You're always getting better with everything. So that's been one of my biggest teachings to my girls that I train, probably because of you with such a focus around self-love is that it's really helped me ingrain it in my girls. And I definitely, like I recently asked them, what's been one of your greatest takeaways? And they said, your self-love input and like how you make us, that's such a priority. And I was so touched because I was like, oh, that's from Kimmy. (laughs) But, you know, like it's it's such a big focus and it's such a big focus, especially in in society today and, and social media, but I don't think people really understand it. It's such a bougie thing to say at the moment, you know, oh, self-love, I'm taking it, I'm embracing it. But I don't think people actually really know what it means. They might know what it means, but they might not be living it. So I think that's what I've just really been trying to teach my girls is to ingrain it and who they are and be the best versions of themselves and to have that self-respect of showing up to the gym, putting it in for a workout, bettering yourself because that's what everyone's there to do at the gym is to better themselves. And so the hardest thing to do is to just walk through those doors and show up. So that's why I congratulate my girls for always being there. Like they've showed up, they're doing the work, they're putting it in. Um, And not just physically, but mentally, like some of my girls really struggle with either self-image issues or they really struggle with mental health issues and that's just their not just safe haven but their escape from it as well. But it's also a great opportunity for me to use it as a tool for their their lives, whether it's their physical goals or their mental goals they're working towards. It's like they're there to better themselves and they're working on it. So I really love helping my girls with that. You're amazing at it. And I think all your life skills have really given you the opportunity to lead from the front. And I think one of the greatest takeaways I'm taking from this conversation is your mentors, the people that you've had help you, you've then taken on their tools and then used them to help the women that you'd like to impact and and create a change or a difference or, you know, help them to create their own beautiful self-love legacy, for want of a better word. Um, we skimmed over it very briefly, but, you know, through beautiful Georgie's advice of going online, um, one of the beautiful things that occurred through COVID was you did happen to meet an extraordinary human. Um, you don't have to give us all the details, but just tell us what has been the highlights that have come out of COVID, not only in a new career and going on now studying Pilates and all the beautiful things that your stretch classes, by the way, are freaking <laughs> phenomenal. Um, but tell us some of the positives that have come out of COVID for you. Um, definitely 
finding the love of my life, Samuel, <laughs> Sammy. Um, he is just so, so beautiful and I couldn't have dreamt him up. But I think, you know, having this dancing career and constantly chasing it, it's been one of my biggest like holdbacks from a relationship because I've always been chasing a dream that it requires me to travel. I don't have the stability of settling down and being in a relationship. So COVID was such a blessing for that and introduced me to this amazing man. And yeah, I don't know. I can't even explain. (laughs) (laughs) She's gone all cool. (laughs) But I'm very like, it couldn't have come at a better time because I've had the experience of being overseas and now with the world being the way it is, I can't be doing what I love. So I've embraced living in the now and having a new career, but also having this new relationship and it's, yeah, it's just the love of my life. So yeah. I'm very blessed. He is. I think we're all blessed. I think we dreamt them all up and his beautiful family <laughs> and the little connections that we have all along the way. His parents live just across the way from us. I worked with his daughter before, uh, his, his sister, their daughter, um, but just just beautiful. And it's been such a treat to witness that love. But, you know, there's no accident and who you show, who you've shown up to be, taking the good out of a bad, devastating situation, showing up in a positive light, trying to be the best that you could be, having a bit of fun, maybe without the attachment of having to be perfect, mm-hmm. gave you the opportunity to relax, surrender again mm-hmm. into a relationship that has ended up becoming you know, someone you'd love to spend the rest of your life with. Mm-hmm. If there was any advice to a woman of any age um, what would that be around relationships and, and finding the right one? Because so many people out there are, are, are desperately, I won't say that, you know, that, that they're, they're hanging off every word to live in that, but all of us want to be loved and to love someone. Do you have any advice around what that can look like for the person still looking for it? Your time will come. <laughs> and I remember everybody saying that to me when I was younger, like, oh, you're so young. And I just like, fuck off. Like, I know, but like, I want it while I'm young. Why can't I have it? Um, and obviously I still am young, but I have it, which is amazing. But there's, like you said, there's no accidents. And I just trust, I felt like I've always had the belief that everything happens for a reason. So even through the heartbreak, even through the disappointments of careers and boys and all those kind of things, it's all been leading to something bigger. And so I've just trusted that living in the moment of the pain is going to lead to something better. And it has. So whether it doesn't matter what age you are, like your time will come and whoever's there in the meantime is all a learning opportunity and an experience to make you more wiser and more understanding because yeah, you know, the more experience you have, the more understanding. And so that just leads you to the right person, the right job, the right anything. But you have to be someone, don't you? You can't, it just doesn't come to you. Who do you have to be to get the life, the job, the love that you want? The person that you want to be. Like you can't just sit there and say, oh, nobody wants me, nobody loves me, Um, or I don't have the right job or I haven't got this yet, Mm, poor me. Yes, you can have a little sook about it, but you have to be, you have to action it. You have to go for it and chase for it. Be that person that you want to be. Um, And just believe in yourself that 
you are good enough, who you are is going to be worth it to the right person or the right job or the right family or whatever. So you can't just sit there and expect it to come to you, but you also can't get so caught up on, I'm trying so hard, but it's not happening. Like it doesn't mean that your efforts aren't good enough. It's just not your turn yet. It will be though. So yeah. I love that. I, th- I love that, that your efforts, they're never wasteful, are they? No. There's always a chance to learn. So as, I mean, I could talk to you forever. You know that I mean, we spent three weeks when you came back from Germany every day going for a walk and we actually relived your diary of the whole time. So we could talk forever. Um, but as you sit here and you've been interviewed, and both of us were really nervous about doing this interview. It's really funny. I don't know why. But we can talk so easily. But then as soon as a camera or a mic is there, we're like, oh, I'm nervous. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, who should we be? Yeah, yeah. But, um you're getting the full us and the whole of us and it's really beautiful. It's a, it's an amazing privilege to interview you in this way and hear your insights. And one of the greatest joys I've had watching you and Jacob grow up is, is watching and all your friends um, grow has been the most extraordinary experience to witness your involvement as a human, as a person, your personalities, your dreams, your wishes, your hopes. What's it been like Um you know, growing up in a family of, I guess, high achievers. I know many people would ask, you know, what's it been like? Your dad was an international cricketer. You've got amazing, you know, we've got incredible grandparents. You've got amazing uncles and aunties and there's lots of, but we don't see them all all the time. But talk to us a little bit about what's it been like having the incredible Danny Morrison as your dad. (laughs) Um, It's amazing, but it's just normal to me because we've grown up with it. So, Yes, he's on the pedestal of being this phenomenal, famous person, but he's also my dad, you know. Um, But it's been inspiring because, you know, someone so close to home has achieved it from the top. So it's given me the confidence to chase my dreams and go after it. People think, you know, because you've had such successful parents and such a sporting family, there's such pressure with it. But I don't feel any pressure at all. I feel encouraged more than anything to chase my dreams. And if that doesn't work, it's okay. Chase something else, but you know, keep going. Don't get off the train, like never stop. And you know, you have a few breaks, but you can still be on the train, but it's just been amazing because it's, you have someone that's inspiring to push you to do better without forcing you know, they're not living through you. They're not living their dream through you. They're, my parents have allowed me to be my own person and find who I am whilst also encouraging me to be the best that I can. So, you know, mediocre isn't good enough. But I don't feel the pressure of having to be someone or having to be this person. Like I just genuinely want to be me but this person of who I am. So I've just been encouraged to be the best that I can and chase my dreams go for it yeah it's been beautiful to watch and he certainly had some amazing things and we've sacrificed a lot he's been away a lot in order for us to to do the things that we can do financially for you guys etc so yeah I just want to give him some kudos as well and your brother Mm -hmm. the naughty cheeky Jacob Morrison what's it been like having a brother like him who's also really trying to live his dream what's it been like being a sister through this um, I mean, we're growing up, we were definitely brother and sister and would have our fights. But then as we got older, it was more like we were twins, like we were best mates and we'd hang out, go to the gym together, go and get food together, do something, whatever. It was just, I don't know, our relationship got closer. 
And yeah, it's been good. I mean, it's been challenging. He's definitely a strong personality type as well. And so am I. So sometimes we clash, of course, but um, I don't know. It's like also inspiring because he's chasing his dreams. So everyone's just chasing their dreams in this family. So there's no taking it easy or sitting back and chilling out. It's just like we're doing our thing and we support each other. So it's it's good. Yeah, it's beautiful. Just before we finish up, though, life hasn't always been easy, as we've known through the story of your dance career. You lost your auntie with a mental health condition um, to suicide. And just recently, you and Jacob lost one of your dearest friends, the beautiful Henry. Um, What's that been like for you to understand and experience loss at such a young age? Um, It opens up your understanding, but it makes you appreciate life, you know. And so then when the little things get you down about, oh, I didn't get that job or that boy doesn't like me or blah, 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 whatever the excuse is or whatever the the problem is, it makes you realise that you're so blessed that that's your issue. That's your biggest problem right now, not facing, you know, the loss of someone so close or something tragic. So it's it puts things into perspective for sure, but such an appreciation for life and there's going to be bad days, there's going to be shit times, but you keep pushing through because it will be worth it. There are always good things to come. So, you know, I always say it's just a bad day, not a bad life. So it's worth fighting for, it's worth living, and there's always going to be something that's going to make it amazing. Henry was an extraordinary soul, very close to our family, young 21-year-old, tragically taken from us from a hit and run. His personality, who he was, if there was one lesson to give to everybody, what would you say Henry taught you the most? Live in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) He lived every day like it was his last. So, yeah, it was just, it was great. He was such a light to everybody's life and a big ray of sunshine. So, yeah, to just embrace life because you don't know how long you've got. So live it like it's your last. Live it like it's your last. I love that, sweetheart. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing yourself on the Self Love Podcast. You know, this is my greatest love is, is sharing beautiful, incredible people and their magic, their talents, their incredible light. Your final quote, what, a quote that you love. I mean, you've said a few throughout the podcast, but what's a favourite quote of yours that you're, you're enjoying at the moment? Um, I say it to my girls and it's my quote for my work, but it says, um, don't make a habit out of choosing what feels good over what's actually good for you. Say it again, slow. Don't make a habit out of choosing what feels good over what's good for you. Yeah, that's pretty good. And and how do people take that when they hear that? What does it mean to them? Um, well, we can always choose to be in the comfort zone and be complacent and all those kind of things. And it's easy to make that the first thing to reach for, but, you know, you're never going to grow anywhere from there. So don't get comfortable with choosing the easy or the the comfortable road. You've got to, if you want better, you've got to do better. So go for it. Live in the now. A beautiful way to end the self-love podcast. Taylor Rose Morrison, I adore you. You're my absolute light. I couldn't 
be the person I am today without you and, of course, beautiful Jake and my husband. So I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you. I wouldn't be who I am without you. Love you, sweeter. (laughs) I love you too. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.